Hello and welcome to the Data Journalism Podcast. My name is Simon Rogers. I'm a data journalist, speaker and teacher and data editor at Google. And my name is Alberto Cairo. I am a professor of visualization at the University of Miami. I am also an infographics designer and also a book author. We love using data to tell stories and the music you can hear is the sound of data made with two-tone, an app that turns data into tunes. It's the music of the US economy, revenue, debt, and GDP transformed into musical notes. And this is the Data Journalism Podcast, the only podcast, as far as we know, and at least so far, dissecting the latest trends in data journalism around the world. In each episode, we will explore the latest in data journalism, and you will meet, you will get to meet the world's top data journalists, and you will find out how they do what they do. So, subscribe to see how data is changing the world of journalism forever. Hey, Simon, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah. This is the first ever episode. First ever episode, and it's going to be a learning experience for both of us, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, if you come to us for technical wizardry in audio, this is not the right place. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we're going to have um, interesting conversations about the way that people are using data to tell stories and how it's shifting all the time. Yeah, it is changing quite quickly, right? I think that, um, I, I guess that I would like to get this podcast started by actually asking you, uh, what is data journalism in the first place? What is it that we are going to talk about in the next so episode? I was, I was going to ask you that. I mean, so I I did something on this a little while ago for a course that I teach and um one of the things I did was ask a few people what they think is data journalism. And it seems to be different depending on who you speak to. And one of the interesting things about data journalism, I think right now, is how it's not just one technique. It's it's spread into lots of them. But I suppose that it's at its kind of root, I think of data journalism as simply really that kind of intersection of technology and journalism really coming together in the in the, the strongest way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a lot of definitions myself. I'm not great on definitions. I couldn't care less. I just yeah, want to yeah. have fun and have conversations with with interesting people. That's the whole reason why we are doing this podcast in the first place, right? Just to right. interview people whom we we admire, we both admire. My definition of data journalism is very broad. For me, data journalism is, journalism is essential. Anything that has to do with journalism and data, that's essentially it. So, I mean, if you use data to do investigative reporting, you are doing data journalism. If you are visualizing data to present it to the public, you are doing data journalism. If you are doing algorithmic accountability and ethics uh, in the context of a journalistic endeavor, you are doing data journalism. So anything that has to do with computational methods and quantitative data in relationship to journalism, I think that we could label it as data journalism. How about that? Is that a good definition? Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty good. I think one of the interesting things is how, as it's become more mainstream, it's gone from being this kind of niche thing that there was maybe like one person in the office that did into being something that, you know, maybe what half of newsrooms now have data teams working there. And there's there's such a lot of kind of specialisms as well. Like there are health data journalists and there are people who write about election data I think all of these are different, they require different skills, but there is kind of one thing I love about data journalism is the way that different teams from different organizations work together. There's a kind of collegiality about it across different organizations, uh, which I I just really love. And also just the the breadth of different people you see doing this work. Everybody is, is not the same who works in data journalism, I find. What do you think? I mean, absolutely. Um, I, I, uh, I have a, a very similar opinion. Data journalism is not just one thing, right? It's a lot of different things, sort of like this being bucketed in this, this very big label. But um, sometimes people tend to relate data journalism with data visualization only. Mm. And I usually tell people, well, I absolutely love visualization. I am an infographics and visualization designer, <laughs> after all. But that's not what data journalism truly is. That's a small area in data journalism. So as you said, it's growing in variety. It's growing in um, sort of like scope, 
more and more people are adopting it, which is which is great. It has a long history also. That's something that some are not aware of. And maybe in future epi episodes of the podcast, we could invite historians of the field to talk a little bit about where all this trend of using data and journalism comes from and what the roots back in the distant past really are. I don't know. I see many opportunities for this program. I'm super excited about doing it with, with, with you. You used to call data journalism the new punk, by the way. Do you remember <laughs> that? That's where I met you, like like yeah. 100, 100 years ago or something like we, that. We, right? have, we have known each other for a while, and yeah. that was part of the motivation for me to, to do this, to give us an excuse to have a, have a chat. Um, about it regularly. So, and, what did you mean by data journalism? I mean, you I mean so that? yeah, I, I guess I was I was making the point that it was something where it was a refreshing field where you didn't have to be an expert, you didn't have to go in with training. You could do, you could be the expert, you could go in with that training, but actually, you could go in and just teach yourself the basics and produce stuff that's really meaningful. And one of the projects that we are both involved in, for instance, is the Sigma Awards. And what you see there is all of these kind of people all over the world who are in um, in newsrooms where they're they're just teaching themselves how to do this work, and it's having a really big impact. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I meant was that you know uh, just like if you were a, in a punk band, you really just needed a few chords and the guitar. Um, mm -hmm. To be a data journalist, really, all you need is some data sets and some tools, free tools which are out there to produce mm -hmm. work that, that could be really interesting and. And that that strength of the story really being the kind of the key thing that pulls all of that stuff together. So that's what I meant. And I actually I still think there's a truth to it. I don't think it's become so so overdeveloped that it doesn't it's not recognizable. I mm -hmm. still see every day you see this interesting work happening yeah. um, by people who don't have a ton of experience and aren't from traditional backgrounds. And I think that's really yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. Th that is related to actually to one of the points that I make to my students every single semester. I say, you know, this stuff is not magic. Mm. If, if you learn how, if you learned in school how to write coherently, you can learn how to design coherently. So even if you don't have an expertise in design or in art, I can still teach you how to become a decent visualization and even infographics designer, how to draw, how to explain th things through you know, illustrations. I can teach you that and all the students learn. So this stuff is certainly not magic. It requires effort. Yeah. It requires learning, obviously. It requires uh, some expertise that you can develop. But giving the first steps in this field is actually not that hard. And it's a lot of fun. That's the other reason why we're doing this podcast in the first place. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. And I, yeah. I really think that um, what we see all the time is that, you know, you can learn a tool, but actually... The thing that's that's really important is you know being able to just tell that story to think about how can I tell a story clearly, how can I explain that story to an editor so that then they'll let me do it, and how can mm. that story be accessible to as many people as possible? It's not about just showing how clever you are um, or showing off to to your peers. It certainly shouldn't be. And mm. I think that accessibility and that ability to tell stories is really a kind of basic of journalism. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk a little bit about the podcast itself, what it is that we are planning to do in the future? Yeah, definitely. So we um, we have these conversations all the time, and I just thought it might be interesting to get some of those out there. We really want this podcast to involve you, know, you the audience, and what we want to do is bring into it people who are working in the field um, every time we do an episode and chat through them, with them some of the kind of the key issues. So we'd love to talk about you know the latest trends in design and in news and storytelling over time. And I think this is just going to be an opportunity to share some of that knowledge out there with the world. And it is important for everybody to understand that for both of us, this is sort of like a side gig, right? It's not, I mean, yeah. it's certainly related to what we do professionally, but it's not directly connected to the institutions that we work for, right? Absolutely. This is, uh, this is our project. It's something we want to do just for us. And um, we wanted you all to be part of that. So what you said about uh, doing this podcast, you know, out of our personal interests in the field, it actually made me think about the way that I organize conferences at the at the university. You know that I have my own budget, as 
being the night chair down here. I have my own budget to do conferences and events. And, and when people ask me, um, how do you invite people? How do you decide whom to invite to the conferences? Um, I, I actually say, you know, I'm a little bit selfish. I just invite people I want to listen to and learn from <laughs> because I guess that other people will also be interested in learning from, from these great people who we'll invite, we will invite. And I guess that the podcast will work the same way, right? We are going to just invite people who are, you know, either rising stars in the field or people who are very well established in the field and have interesting things to say or people whose work we really, really like or we believe that it is important. I think that that's the way that we are going to bring uh, people in. Uh, and we also, I think, we are going to try to bring some unexpected people or, or, or some unknown people, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. We want um, each episode to be surprising and interesting and for you to learn something that maybe you didn't know and hopefully for us to learn things we didn't know yeah. um, each time we do it and to just reflect the amazing um, variety and diversity that exists in the, the field of data journalism. It's just really important to showcase what's happening there. And, you know, around the world, not just from the US, not just from the UK or Europe or wherever we, we want to explore data journalism absolutely around the globe. And that really probably leads us into this episode. Absolutely. Where, yeah, we got a chance <laughs> to have a chat with um, the, the people who read all the hard work behind the Sigma Awards. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. just for a bit of um, background, both Alberto and I have worked on the Sigma Awards um, since their inception, this is the second year of the awards, and we worked on Data Journalism Awards before that in the past. And we really wanted to bring together the people who make these awards happen to talk this year about what's going on and the, the latest trends that they're seeing. Absolutely. And uh, having been involved in the in the Sigma Awards, both of us, one of the things that surprised it didn't really surprise me, well, but one of the things that I liked the most about it uh, you mentioned the word diversity before, right? It's like um, when we think about data journalism, and in particular about data visualization, my own field, and you ask people uh, who, I mean, what organizations do you admire the most? Or where organizations do you follow the closest? People usually say, you know, the, the usual suspects, right? The New York Times, the Washington Post, or, or the Guardian, or uh, the Financial Times. So UK-based or US-based organizations. And I should tell people there's so much work being done, great work being done in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, yeah. everywhere. We want to bring attention to that type of work in the podcast. And I think that uh, inviting the Sigma Awards people to this first episode as the interviewees really pushed that message because we talk in the conversation about the diversity of the entries that are uh, yeah. that, that selected to the awards. Absolutely. And um, you'll hear through the conversation why it's important to recognize this journalism that's happening around the world. And one of the things I love about the awards is that you have like 500 odd entries, I think 540 this year, and they're from everywhere. And you can even see that in the shortlist. So it's not just that, you know, entries from smaller organizations get knocked out. They absolutely make it all the way through. And this can be really life changing for some of the journalists involved as well. We've absolutely seen that in the past. So yeah, really excited to have this conversation mm -hmm. and to talk mm -hmm. about how the awards are changing and, the, and what's coming next for them. All right. So before we switch to the conversation with the uh, Sigma Awards people, I think that we need to do some housekeeping. So the first thing is to say is a little bit of a warning from me, which is that, as we said at the beginning of the episode, this is the first time that we do a podcast. So we are both amateurs. And um, there are some glitches during the conversation. We talk over each other here and, and there. So this is a learning experience for both of us. So uh, audience, everyone in the audience, please forgive us for those glitches. So that will be the first thing that I would like to say. Oh, and the second point is that one of our brilliant guests, uh, Julian Chua, uh, who works at Reuters and as run, runs the, uh, the, the call, she had to leave um, halfway through to go and do some breaking news work um, at Reuters. So, uh, so you'll, you'll see her suddenly vanish um, halfway <laughs> through the conversation. Journalist, journalist, all about deadlines, right? All right? Anyway, yeah, so shall we get started? Let's get started. Okay, we have with us here Gina 
Marianne, Kang, and Aaron. Uh, we are going to talk about the uh, Sigma Awards. And I thought that the, the best way to do to get started is that you introduce yourselves to the audience so they know who you are. Uh, uh, Gina, do you want to go first? Sure, I'm Gina Chua. I'm at Reuters. I run operations there. And Aaron and I were the people, I think, that co-founded the Sigma Awards. Marianne? Hello there, I'm Marianne. Uh, I'm the executive director of the Sigma Awards and founder of Hyta. <laughs> and that was Simon's. That was Simon's dog. Maybe Simon, do you want to introduce like your dog? Your because he's your, like me. <laughs> no, no, he, he, I, I can tell you, I'm going to interject in the conversation. We are going to keep this informal. But I, every time that I talk to Simon on the on, on, on Google chat, I get, the, I get a dog barking at me as well. So, Simon, you may want to introduce him. Is, uh, he's going to be is, a constant uh, presence. <laughs> I know, I know. He's a, he's a, he's definitely a, a, a data journalist dog. This is Biscuit. He is uh, ever vocal, but um, small but mighty. <laughs> Everyone say hello to Biscuit. Hello, Biscuit. Hi, anyway, dear. yeah, Marianne, thank you so much. Um, uh, Kang, do you want to go next? Uh, sure. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Quexer Guangqing. Uh, I go by King. I am the competition officer for Sigmar, and I am also a data journalist based in Malaysia. And then we have Aaron. Aaron? Yeah, hi. I'm Aaron Tolhofer. I am also the co-chair and, I guess, co-founder of the Sigma Awards. I'm also the James B. Steele Chair in Journalism Innovation at Temple University. That's a very long title, very common in the world of academic journalism. I also have a very long title, as the audience already knows. Simon, do you pick, do you want to pick up the conversation, get started with the with the questions for our guests? Yeah, let's. I'd love to kick off really talking about what how you would define the Sigma Awards. It feels to me like they are the only award like this globally that recognizes journalists from around the world. We can get the New York Times up against Karl Majolinski uh, and, and, and all on equal footing. So Gina, maybe you can start off really talking about how you see the Sigma Awards. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, data journalism is obviously a huge and important part of journalism now. In some ways, it's, it's a little strange to call it out separately because it is so much part and parcel of, of what we do to do work um, well. And I think, you know, Aaron and I were talking about just the importance of, you know, celebrating and, and honoring that work and making sure that, you know, it had visibility so people could look at it and, and learn from the, the, the fantastic work that's going on around the world. Um, and, you know, so there's a, there's a bit of visibility, there's a bit of learning, and there's just frankly a little bit of celebration. And I think the other thing that we really wanted to do was, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of awards in, in the US and the UK and in the Western world. There aren't that many awards that really look across the world. And we wanted to make sure that we called out some of the fantastic work that's going on, um, you know, in all the pockets of the world and, and let people see, you know, how fantastic the level of journalism is everywhere. And why do we need a data journalism award? Like, what's it dif difference does it make to somebody to win one of these? Oh, I mean, Aaron should Aaron should, should chip in. I, I know that people, everybody likes to get an award. Everybody likes to have their work recognized. But I think, you know, for, again, especially for people in far-flung places, I think to be told that your work is as good as it is better than um, you know, a lot of the work of, of more established names or, or people, you know, who are household names. I think it really tells you you're on the on the right track, you're on the right footing, um, and, and frankly encourages you and and the community that you're in um, that that you're on the right track and you should keep doing that work. And there's also so yeah yeah there's also a long history of segregating. Uh, the journalist and the non-journalist, right, in, in newsrooms. And this is one of the very few awards that doesn't do that. Um, we've recognized uh, incredible coders. We've recognized projects that don't look like traditional journalism in the past. We've recognized projects that are based on very complex AI algorithms. Uh, we've recognized things through this award that just don't fit any other category. And that's why, even though, as Gina says, you know, we're probably at a point where data journalism is such a normal thing that we, we don't necessarily need to call it out. We still think it's important to do that for that reason. 
think Marianne, I'd love you to come in on this. Yeah, so I think it's um, it goes beyond the idea of giving them a prize to what was picked as the best projects of the year also. Um, I think that we have a duty as an international award to also play a part in the community and the fact that we are being sent like hundreds of amazing projects from all over the world makes it very important for us to be transparent and to also share that um, uh, tremendous work with the, with the international community. So I think that the award is important to highlight the best work that has been done, but also to build this kind of um, community project of what has been going on in the international community this year. One of the things Can, I think is really unique. Oh, sorry, Ginger. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we were, yeah. <laughs> well, go ahead, go ahead, well, Simon. One of the things I think is really unique about the uh, these awards is that it's kind of organized by the community. I feel like this is probably the most community organized award ever. Okay, I'd love you to talk a little bit about that, about what difference that makes um, when people enter, do you think? So I think that um, this is not just a platform that, you know, we um, ask people to enter, but we actually reach out to um, the regional data journalism competition. We have uh, competition partners in South Korea, uh, in Pakistan, and we ask them to, you know, encourage their finalists and encourage the data journalists in their region to also submit their projects uh, to us, right? So in this, um, in this aspect, we are really, you know, trying to engage um, journalists from regions, from countries, you know, that are usually, you know, uh, not, not that visible in the international data journalism landscape. Right, to try to get, you know, to try to surface those projects because we know there are really good projects, you know, coming out from those uh, regions and countries. And um, so this, this is really like a bottom to top, you know, kind of approach. You know, we are not trying to just get the big newsrooms to join us, but we are trying to actively, you know, seek out um, smaller newsrooms in developing countries and regions, you know, that also do um, good jobs uh, in data journalism. I, I'm going to interject in the conversation just because I, I feel very strongly about everything that you that you're all saying. Um, uh, full disclosure, I mean Simon and I were also part of the part of the jury, and, and one of the things that I enjoyed the most about being part of the jury myself is the fact that I got to see work being done outside of the United States, outside of the UK, outside of Western Europe, and I got to, as you all know, I'm from Spain, so that's part of Western Europe supposedly. And but I got to see work being done from, you know, in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. And it really, really shows that there are so many incredible people out there. I was so excited about that because it, it, it actually shows that the, the, the use of data in journalism uh, is actually becoming widespread, the adoption of this type of, uh, this type of journalism. Do you think that the awards can encourage more people to, to jump into the bandwagon and start doing this kind of, this kind of work in the future? I think there's no question that it's already done some of that. I mean, you know, again, visibility is just a little bit of it, right? And if you hear about the awards, and you and you've not thought about this, you, you start to think, well, what is this about? And so, you know, at a very basic level, that that helps. But I think, you know, if you if you look at the the, the Slack channels that Marianne has set up and the questions that come in with people saying, you know, well, how is, you know, where's the where's the shortlist? Uh, when's it coming out? Or you know, I've just joined. I'm doing this. You know, it just helps people find the community. And when you have a community like that, I think everyone's encouraged. I think the other thing that we've seen over the years too is, you know, as you look at as you look at some of the awards and you see, well, this work looks very similar to, to that work, and you sort of say, you know, it's it's perhaps not the most original work, but what's great is that people are picking up from what others have done, and you see this project's done in India, so you say, you know, this would work in my country. Why don't I try that too? And so just the ideas floating around, I think, has brought a whole level um, of of. Uh, data journalism up and also brought more people into the field. 
Jumping on that, I think that one of the great value of this competition is also the amount of information that we gather about the production of the projects. And so people have to not only just share a link to, you know, the, the data journalism they've done, but they also have to um, think about the way they've, they've made it and the challenges they faced and the technologies they've used, et cetera. And all of that information we will be releasing and so that the community can learn from that and get inspired by it. And um, just as Gina was, um, was saying, it, it, I think it will be very um, useful for everyone uh, to not just see uh, interesting projects, but to actually be able to get inspired by it and um, yeah, do it themselves maybe. I'd love to talk a little bit about, and probably nobody's interested in this except for me, but the idea of the process of the awards I feel is pretty unique. So full disclosure, I'm managing director of the awards and one of the things I do is work with the pre-jury every year. So it's like we have the pre-jury goes through all the entries and so on. Um, Marianne or Ken, could you, one of you talk a bit about how the process works and how you get to that final kind of shortlist? And then I'd love Gina to, to dive in on the call, the call right. that we do. Right. So the preachery work has been phenomenal this year. I think I'd like to start with that because um, we had this no category rule going on. Um, they've had to go through all of the entries with pretty much no guideline other than spot the great work and tag it according to its strength. Um, so whether that was, you know, great visuals, um, topics or things like that, um, the preachery had to go um, through a, a um, a harder uh, task than they've had in previous years. Uh, but it's been amazing. And uh, we've had great feedback from the Pridgery members saying that um, the amount of variety um, in the projects was uh, amazing. Everyone was expecting to get just 100% of COVID projects. And in the end, we actually had some really interesting works being done on lots of different topics. And uh, maybe, Ken, you can tell us about like the, the actual process of Pridgery um and and how it went with everyone because you were part of it yeah so uh we have um we have uh, more than uh, we have uh, 10 uh, pre-jury members and so we actually divide all the 545 entries that we receive uh to equally to everyone to make sure that each entry you know at least you know scored by three pre-juries so we uh, randomly assign uh, those um, entries to the pre-juries. But of course, you know, if the pre-juries, they themselves are involved in some of the entries, they would, you know, uh, choose to abstain from it, right? We observe that practice. And then after going through all this, um, scoring all the entries, we then, you know, look at all the scores given by all the juries and add them up and see, you know, of course, you know, the tops, um, entries that got the highest scores, and then we actually pass that list to Simon. It is, it is, it is a thing of beauty. By the time I get it, but it's so impressive to me that people just go through so many things, uh, and and you can just see the kind of state of the industry from this one thing. But what I would love to do is kind of jump ahead now to the call itself. I feel like the call, the judging call for the awards is like this unique moment in data journalism. It happens every year, and every year I think we should record it. This is the year we should record it. But Gina, Gina and Aaron, I'd love you guys to talk a little bit about the call and what it, what it is. Honestly, it's one of the most fun parts of the year because I get to listen to really smart people, Alberto and, and Aaron and a dozen and a half other people talk about uh, journalism. And, you know, you know, we, we obviously get the, uh, the the entries out to everybody. They, they, they score them. We, that helps us think about what people think about it. But really, the, the call is where we interact and and people bring, you know, the jury is so international and has so much varied experience from people, you know, who are more on the coding side of things, people who are more on the visualization side of things to that sort of, you know, hardcore data journalists that you bring so many different perspectives. And so somebody says, I'm not sure about this project or what about that one? And somebody says, well, you know, remember this, or I'm really excited because, you know, uh, some, you know, censored, Sensors have been used for the first time in such a long time on this project. And so it's it's this meeting of minds that is astounding and it's fun and it comes up with a great result. But Aaron will happily talk much more about that too. Yeah, so I think it's, it is it's a, certainly a highlight of, of my year every year. I've been involved in this, obviously this is the second year 
of of this award, and we've sort of um, this is kind of a continuation of an award of, of, of that preceded uh, this one uh, that kind of went defunct, and we just felt strongly, and the jury felt strongly. This is this is I think the most this is the testament to why this thing is very special. Um, judging awards is is, and I've done a lot of this. It's it's a pretty it's not always a super fun experience. And uh, a lot of times it can be quite painful and, and not particularly fair and very fraught. Every one of the jurors who was involved with that preceding award stayed on and wanted to continue and felt that strong, felt strongly about this award. So that'll tell you uh, something right there. Cause this is a, it's also a lot of work. I mean, we spent this particular year, uh, we changed with the change that Marianne and, and Ken were talking about that we changed, you know, we got rid of uh, categories that created a lot of additional work for the certainly for the pre jury, but also for the jury jury. Um, all of a sudden you're you're dealing with a much bigger pool of potential um, prize worthy uh, projects. And, you know, you 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 don't have that luxury of saying, well, you've got five really great visualizations here, but there's one that stands out above all those others. And so then you can sort of ignore all of the rest and say, you know, only one award this year. Well, we couldn't, you know, you couldn't do that this time around, uh, which I think is good. Uh, so, you know, I, I actually, it, it is, it is a, it's a real highlight for me. And, and I think, you know, and I know we're going to get to um, this at some point today, but I think, you know, it, it's something that we can double down on and really, and really push going forward. I would like to to add to what Aaron was saying about the uh, the judging process and how hard it was, and the fact that no none of the projects really stood out stood up because all of them uh, stood up. And I, actually, I found myself the first when I did the first round of of judging and seeing all the projects, I found myself giving a five to almost every single one of them. The five is the top score, and then I needed to go back to all the projects. I well, I mean. I want to give everyone an award because I'm, I, perhaps it's because I'm becoming older and therefore I'm sort of like more, I don't know, accepting, perhaps less judgmental towards everybody else's work. And I enjoy the work of everybody, but it was very, very hard to pick sort of like the winners of these of, of, of the year, right? It was super, super, super hard. So that leads me to leads me to the next question, perhaps to all of you, actually, to the three of you, uh, which is that. Well, by by judging these 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 projects, um, I myself spotted certain trends that look promising, things that are changing in data journalism, new developments in data journalism. Uh, did you notice the same thing? And if you did, what what would be those trends that are that are seem to be growing in the field? Do you think? I'll I'll, I'll throw one thing out, and then Marianne, maybe you can jump in because you. You've seen, you know, you've seen as much of this as I have, and certainly Kang with the pre-jury. You see, I, at least for me, um, I think just the trend I would just cite is the overall quality of the projects we see in that final group across the board is exceptional and getting better every single year. I would say, uh, you know, maybe some others on the jury would disagree with me, but I actually thought this year that the overall strength of the small awards, the ones that are submitted from the smallest newsrooms, were actually as strong and possibly stronger in many respects than some of the large ones. We gave an award this year. We obviously are not talking about that right now, but there's one in particular that I uh, that we, we gave an award to that was a phenomenal project, and everybody's jaw was on the floor because it was so damn good. And it came from a tiny little organization. So I, I would say the trend I, I would say is I think that the overall quality, particularly in these small categories, is, is going up and up and up and up. King, do you want to add to that based on the pre-jury results? Sure, just want to add uh, one more thing that we really have a very good represent, representation from different continents. Um, so out of the uh, 544 entries that we received, right, um, so one third of it actually comes from the uh, Asia. So Asia is the continent that submitted the most numbers of entries, uh, probably because the number of countries in Asia is, uh, is, is, is higher as well. And this is followed by Europe and North America. America. So both uh, these continents make up about 
uh, half of the total entries. And we have you know, significant numbers uh, of entries from Africa, South America, and uh, the Oceania country as well. And we also see this representation you know, um, um, quite equally in the short list. So it again shows that you know, um, the, the newsrooms um, from the developing countries are actually you know, um, quite competitive this year. Um, they because we did not you know uh, score them based on categories this time, so we don't look at you know whether they are from small or large organizations uh, in the pre-jury process. Uh, in the pre-jury process, we actually look at you know how good the project is. So I'm quite happy to see that you know there are a lot of you know good entries coming from um, the small organization and also those from the developing countries. To, to add to that, I'd also like to say that um, out of the entries we got this year, where we also saw more of um, this year are um, collaborations and um, um, the fact that um, smaller organizations are entering the, the competition more and more, um, it shows us that um, the community is, is growing even more um, each year and that um, um, journalists that wouldn't um, describe themselves as data journalists suddenly, you know, get more confident in, in, in the work they do and uh, get to harness um, new um, com new skills and um, get to access more data too because I think that the competition um, is not just about the you know the great um, investigative work and the great analysis that journalists can do worldwide. It also shows us the the evolution of access to data worldwide, right? Because to to do data journalism, you need data, and um, I think that the, the the growth of data journalism is going um, as strongly as the growth of um, data openness. And so more and more journalists access data worldwide. And I think that's that's a great thing too, that uh, we do celebrate in a way um, with these awards. Um, the fact that um, data is more and more, more and more accessible and um, um, uh, journalists from small organizations get to access it more easily too. One of the things that came up on the call um, this year that I would love us to talk a little bit about is the idea of individuals and like somebody said, um, say so somebody pointed Alberta here, so yeah we don't want to create superstars out of out of journalists and I think that's a really interesting thought because do, do we want it? Do we want to have you know, Dave Jill is being better known as celebrities and so on. I'd love you guys to talk a little bit more about that. And Aaron, I'm going to chuck this one to you. Do you think there are too many superstars out there that we should we should worry about, like elevating people too much? Well, I think it's less. I mean, <clears throat> well, I don't know. I, I think it's less about creating, in my view, anyway. It's less about creating superstars and more about acknowledging that data journalism, unlike really unlike much of the traditional uh, journalism, uh, is very much a team sport. And there are, we see these portfolios, um, every year from news organizations that have, you know, even decent sized data teams and, and every one of them, you know, could have anywhere between two and seven names on them because there's some shared code, there's some shared design language, there's shared infrastructure. You know, there, it, it, it is a team sport. And, and I think that is one of the areas that we might tweak the awards slightly in the future. Alberto, what do you think? I mean, I, 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 I do feel I, like we, I, do we need celebrities here, isn't it? You just singled me out because I was yeah, the one sure. raising that thing. So I would like to clarify that I don't have anything against, you know, individual journalists, you know, getting lots of prominence and lots, lots of visibility. I'm fine with that. I'm, and I'm happy when that happens. And I'm also happy to contribute to their popularity if it is well-deserved and it often is. But I also worry about what, what Aaron was describing, which is that we tend to forget that there will not be superstars without the teams behind them. And we need to give the award to those teams. And the case that I always use, um, I'm not going to refer to any project from the current Sigma Awards, but if you remember, for instance, um, the famous project by the New York Times years ago, Snowfall, right? If you take a look at the Snowfall, who gets the prominence for that? The writer. But what really gives that power, that, that project, the power that it has? All the, the design. 
yeah, the design, the video, the animation, etc. Who made those things? Well, you can only find out by going to the bottom of the story. But the person who is recognized is the writer. Nothing against the writer, obviously. He deserves praise. But I want to see the other people also prominently displayed at the, at the beginning of the story. Because that's the product of teamwork. It's not the product of a single person coordinating an entire team. Sorry to take over so much of the conversation, no, but I feel I would, strongly about this. Let me, just, let me piggyback on that. It's funny because I was actually at the times when that, I had, my team had nothing to do with Snowfall, but I was there when that project happened and when that award was given. And John uh, Branch, who's a tremendous journalist, don't get me wrong, should have won a Pulitzer the year before for uh, the Bugard piece that he did, which is breathtaking, incredible work. Uh, really. Uh, but, you know, that award had one name on it. Uh, and that's not because others didn't contribute to it substantively, as we know, you know, go scroll to the bottom of of uh, of uh, Snowfall uh, and you'll see a litany of uh, uh, names on there. Um, but that's because of the silliness of the way the Pulitzers work and and how they consider to be staff versus individual awards. Uh, we don't want to be that. So, so I think there's a discussion to be had about how do you recognize a collection of work? How do you recognize some, an individual's contribution to the field in a way that doesn't single them out sort of artificially from the rest? And I think that's where we have to, I think that might be the future conversation we have about the sort of portfolio question. You just made me realize how much journalism is like Downton Abbey, essentially. <laughs> Got the upstairs and the downstairs, and yeah, we have to break that down. And also, I was wondering how long it would take before we got to snowfall. I, I, I knew that would come in some. <laughs> so I, I have, I have, a, I have a, a last question for you guys. And one of the things that occurred to me, and this is a, as as Aaron knows, this is a bit of a bugbear of mine for a while, is is how much data journalism dies eventually because library, you know, used organisations don't put any resources into keeping something going after a while. And the, the world is kind of littered with with data journalism that, that is no more. Do you think the sigmas are like a kind of institutional memory for the field, a way to keep some of these projects alive once uh, once they're gone in reality? I mean, they certainly should be. Um, and and one of the uh, Marianne can talk about this because she was substantially is substantially responsible for you know this part of 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 what we do which is presenting the winners and providing all of the context and if you go back and look at the way we uh did this last year uh under marianne's uh, very capable direction um you'll see that all of the context is captured there what what went into the project i mean basically it's the whole entry and that's so important it creates a really long page but you know what that is so important is now you nowadays you know there's so many projects that I worked on you know back in the day that have like literally vanished from the internet um, because the website was updated or there was a new template that came online or you know God forbid the project was you know built with uh, Flash or something like that and you know we have to be thinking about preserving this uh, sort of in perpetuity and this is you know one of the most important things that we can do. You just mentioned I, Flash. <laughs> Sorry, Marianne. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Marianne, okay, please. Okay. We all had nightmares with Flash, that's fine. Uh, um, we can build a super group on that. Um, I, no, I just wanted to add to that, that um, actually, yes, we have a duty to not just share the, the information that the teams have shared with us for the application, but also to somehow, I don't know, find a way to... Um, capture um, the projects themselves. And um, that's something we will be thinking about um, in the future so that we, we don't come across that issue that you are talking about, Aaron. Um, the other thing that I wanted to, to, to just add to that um, is that, um, um, Simon, my heart sink a little when you say, you know, when you talk about the death of data tourism and the fact that, you know, teams are not supported enough um, um, across the the, the scope um, because actually maybe I'm an optimistic right but what I do see in the other the various projects that I that I do run is that in actually uh, more and more people are, um, are fighting and striving to try and and make data journalism live on and um, and I think there's no it's not a surprise that we see more and more smaller organizations uh, enter the competition I think that in I mean I can only talk for 
um, emerging countries because that's that's the the places where I do work the most um, actively. Uh, but I, I do see in a lot of countries, you know, journalists um, trying to learn, you know, their skills and um, and do data journalism um, in a day to day basis. And the issues we see are the same everywhere. I guess it's like, how do you fund that? Uh, how do you how do you um, make it worthwhile for your editors and um, um, there's a problem with um, sometimes access to data, but also sometimes um, the data being too big for um, one small team. And that's why we were talking about collaborations um, earlier on. I think that people collaborate for good reasons, um, probably to also share um, the, the cost of, um, of a, a, a big data project, but mostly because they want to um, have this community feel around um, a data project that's maybe too big for them and um, that can be, you know, um, uh, contribute, that can contribute to the wider um, data community. So I'd like to just inject a bit of optimism in the state. Oh, yeah, I think, I think I, I love the fact there is more datalism happening everywhere in the world than ever before. <clears throat> but my fear is that there's no institutional memory. Recall. So the optimistic point is that the sigmas can be that memory, right? That we can be a place that that keeps all of those things together. Yeah, just to just to share a little bit more on sigma. So for sigma, for us at sigma, this is not just a competition. Not this is not just a awards. Uh, we are also building a database of all the entries and the shortlist and the winners. Right, all their entries uh, into a database, and we're going to make this public. So imagine that you know we have now we have two years of over one thousand entries. Uh, of course, not all of them are uh, are super, um, but we are going to publish all the you know short at least the shortlist um, entries, and by doing that, you are able to go to our database. You are able to filter it. You look at you can look at you know uh, entries from different countries, uh, whether they are from large organization or small organizations, and we are we are also tagging all the projects. You know if they are using. Um, machine learning. If they are using satellite images, if they are using, if they are, if, if this is a video video presentation, so we we tag all this, uh, we give all these tags to different other entries so that it is possible for people to come, and you know search through the database and try to find inspiration, right? So let's say you want to do a story about deforestation in let's say uh, my country Malaysia and you want to know that what what kind of what what newsrooms have done a data story about that then this is would be a very useful database for you to to to, to use yeah sorry yeah i wanted to throw one really quick thing in here like on on, on the optimism front what I do professionally now is that I focus very much on business models and the future of news, and that's really where my focus is right now. Uh, and and one thing that I can tell you definitively is that as we are shifting away from sort of scale and reach and more toward reader revenue and membership, uh, that people pay for ex exclusive things. People pay for content that you can't get anywhere else. And in a world now where exclusives are exclusive for about a nanosecond before someone aggregates them and they're immediately all around the web, the thing that can remain exclusive, the thing that's impossible to aggregate and rewrite quickly is data journalism a great visualization, the great content. And this is why the New York Times is doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. This is a business decision. This isn't because they love making pretty pictures on the internet. They're making a business decision that this is key to their future. Go read the last report they did on this in the 2020, I think it was. Uh, it's all in there. Uh, and I think a lot of news organizations are starting to get on board with this, thankfully. So I'm optimistic too, Mary. Well, to, to, to add to that, um, I just wanted to say that um, um, we want to do better um, in the future editions of, of the awards in terms of um, collaborations um, with others, uh, which is something we, we, we spoke about a little. Um, we've started partnering with uh, five regional data journalism awards in the US, um, Korea, Brazil, Pakistan, and Egypt. Um, and we did that with one thing in mind, right? To, to, be, able to, to be able to better spot the, the, the great data work that's been done. And so 
uh, we will be adding to that list of partners because we want to, you know, um, be able to uh, pick the brains of the guys that are mostly better skilled than us in spotting um, uh, talent in, in their regions and to be able to identify um, at a regional level the great data journalism work uh, being done in, in the five continents. So we, we are optimistic and we are very ambitious too, um, which are two very good things. Um, but um, we will be uh, working very hard to, to, to make that happen. Um, Thank you, Marianne. I would like to go back to something that Ken said before about the awards being not just awards, but also an archive of, of great work. And I, I can attest, and I think that this will be also the experience of Aaron's and, and, and Simon, because both of them teach at the universities, that having this type of repository of great past work, it, it's fantastic because it's something that you can point out to students to look for inspiration. It's like you're learning data visualization. Where can I get ideas from? Just go to the Sigma Awards website, go to no, navigate back in the archive and take a look at what people have done in the past and then no, try to borrow ideas from the best. So this is some, I think that is a fantastic resource that not only rewards um, part, not all, but part of what is, I think, the best work in data journalism in the world, but also a great resource for people who are beginning in the field. And as you all have said, we want this field to grow bigger, wider, more inclusive. We want more people in. We want more countries and people from more countries coming into this world and contributing. Well, that was a good conversation, wasn't it? It really was. It was great to chat with them about it because we've been so kind of knee deep in the the mechanics of getting the awards together, just to be able to step back and see and see how it's um, going to be so kind of transformative. It's really fascinating. Mm, absolutely, yeah. We learn a lot and. Uh, you know, sharing the experience of judging these awards with everyone else was is it's a humbling experience, I must say. Uh, I actually made the point, I think, during the um, during the jury, during the judging, that it was very hard for me to decide winners just because I liked everything. I mean, every, everything was so good, which is a point that I made during the conversation. It was super, super hard. Super. I know. Super. I really feel like one year we should recall that judging call. Oh yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, obviously. And you know, people won't be quite as honest, perhaps, but I still think it's such an <laughs> incredible insight into the, the way the field works, isn't it? Well, I can assure the audience that there is barely, barely any any uh, bad words during the, during the conversations of the jury. And very clean no, conversation. Very clean conversation. <laughs> Nobody's mean to anybody. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and it's enlightening. It's really a learning experience, even for the jury itself. Anyway, so that's the that's the end of the episode. What else shall we do? Shall we remind people to subscribe to the uh, to the yes, podcast? Please subscribe and very soon we'll drop another episode and you'll get to find out what it is. Yeah, we will do that. And if you like the episode, please leave a review as well in your favorite platform. 